Welcome to the Free the Wage Slave podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping frustrated nine to fivers get out of the rat race and succeed working for themselves. I'm Sky Kilji, a former corporate insurance wage slave who now travels the world year round working from my laptop. So, on the show with us today, we have Pete from Earth Travel Family. Pete is originally from Vancouver, Canada, and travels full-time with his wife, Monica, and their two kids with only three pieces of carry-on luggage. They focus on visiting budget-friendly destinations, blogging, and world-schooling their kids along the way. Let's hear from Pete, figure out how they started this journey, where they are now, and where they think things are going to go. Hey, Pete, how's it going? It's good. How are you? Doing good. Thank you, sir. Where in the world are you today? I am in Da Nang, Vietnam. Okay, okay, lovely. I'm over in uh, Romania right now. I think I told you in the DMs. Yeah, which part? In Cebu, in the mountains. Okay, I um, actually have a booking there in uh, September. We're planning on visiting. Uh-huh, okay. I'm hoping I'll still be able to make that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty quiet here. Business as usual. There's a few people wearing masks, the two-meter restriction, and no crowds. I think above 50 allowed, but... Um, I think so far we've had about 400 cases and two deaths and both were elderly with pre-existing conditions. So yeah. it seems to be in control at this point. Yeah, well, let's hope things get to that point. We might get to this later, but yeah, we had in the month of February planned our uh, travels all the way up till the end of September and uh, most of that's been scuttled. <laughs> yeah, we're booked until January next year, and we've had one flight cancelled so far, I think, to Latvia or Lithuania. Yeah. But the rest of them seem to be holding up relatively well. Well, I'm really excited to see Romania. We're going to have Brasov and Sibiu is where we're going to be for the most. That's awesome. We've yeah. been here for about three weeks. We've got one more week here in Cebu, and then we go to Bucharest for a month. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we got a month in Cebu, so... Yeah, it's Looking awesome. Forward to that. It's yeah. awesome. It's uh, it's pretty quiet, but there's a 24-hour stores here. There's no shortage of food at the moment. It's pretty relaxed. Yeah, same with Danang, actually. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. We'll kind of dig into how things are on the ground there in the episode. But sure. usually, what we do is we talk about the timeline, which is you know life before you made this decision, the turning point, mm-hmm. then leaving where you are now and what's next we tend to go across that and then we scoot around some different topics we pretty much freestyle so i think what would be awesome is why don't you tell us who you are and where you're from and what life was like before you embarked on this magical journey with your family all right my name is peter scott i am presently 45 years old and been living in vancouver british columbia canada for over 20 years i met my wife monica almost 18 years ago. And in 2000, well, go back to 2005, we decided we wanted to travel. We spent a couple of years working in a remote nursing station in Northern British Columbia. And then we took a year off and did a round the world trip, mostly sort of fast travel, but we just flew by the seat of our pants, didn't book anything in advance, didn't mean to rhyme. But, uh, (laughs) and we hit all the, you know, all the cheap countries, Southeast Asia, North Africa, uh, South America. And we thought we'd get that out of our system, you know, and then came back and ended up buying a home in Vancouver. 
We, in 2009, basically when the markets were at rock bottom and we got a good price, and we settled into a nice neighborhood and we were, we're both uh, registered nurses. We're both working in downtown Vancouver at St. Paul's Hospital and we settled into a comfortable life and we ended up having two children in 2011 and 2013, a girl and then a boy. And to me, I thought we were just going to ride this for as long as we could, pay down our mortgage and and then eventually work a little bit less and travel some more when we had more money and and that sort of thing without having to pay that down. And then one day, my wife started getting itchy feet and we started talking about maybe moving to another place. We talked about maybe traveling and we had all kinds of ideas whether we could, you know, rent out our place and all this stuff. And and after a lot of talk, the long and the short is she sent me a video and it was basically the prologue for uh, Vagabonding, mm-hmm. the book by Rolf Potts yep. and I think the uh, forward by Tim Ferriss. And it was a two and a half minute video. And at the end of that video, I said, I'm all in. And we decided the best thing to do to make, well, the easiest sort of thing in, in a lot of ways would be to sell our home, our possessions, quit our jobs and take off. And we called that our, uh, and forgive the language, fuck it and go plan. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to have to have to worry about, you know, tenants in our place. We'd rented our condo out in the past and we didn't want to have to have a timeline. And we, and we wanted to just kind of leave things open-ended to see what might come along. And uh, we weren't sure we wanted to go back to nursing. I'm sure you're aware it's a... Uh, it's a stressful job. And after 20 years doing that, I, you know, you could use the word burnout. I, and I worked in all kinds of different departments and I was ready for a break, even though I'd had a break in the past, but I, you know, it's also 12 hour shift work days and nights and working full time had taken its toll. And it's not just the work itself. It's, you know, politics and all kinds of things, you know, I thought I'd found my dream job at a hospice and we had the pipes burst and I had to evacuate everybody who were, you know, all the patients are dying literally. And there was a brand new building that, you know, things like that happened and all kinds of different stresses that you wouldn't even anticipate. So we took, this was in 2017 and we thought in two to three years, we'll make this happen. And it ended up being two years and we slowly made our plan. And the last few months went by really fast. It was, you know, checking out gear and making the list of countries we wanted to see. And then we started having to acquire things and, you know, all those like looking at spending a lot of time on the internet, researching different things from backpacks to different countries we want to visit, visa requirements, what's the best time to visit a country. So it came up with a, a list and plotted in things so we could be sort of fluid with our travels. And we knew we wanted to be traveling slowly because we have kids and that changes everything completely from how we first traveled without kids. So anyway, I could go into more detail. I could go on and on, but uh, if you want to get into more specifics. Yeah. I'd like to touch on a couple of things. So the first one is I definitely understand the nursing thing. My mom was a nurse when I grew up, she was working neonatal with the premature babies in the hospital. And I always remember her coming home in the morning, just exhausted 
and then she couldn't sleep in the daytime because it was too noisy and it was light outside and mm-hmm. you know, that burnout I absolutely saw happen. And, you know, that experience of it being a dream job turning into something that just kind of drains you of everything. I've definitely seen that and can appreciate that. So I got that on your timeline, you've been through that. You've read the, uh, or you've seen the video about the vagabonding book and you've decided, okay, we need to sell up. We're going to kind of cut all of our earthly possessions so we have the freedom to travel. But I'm interested, how old were your kids at this point? Were they in school? What sort of preparation did you have to make in terms of the children and their schooling? Well, they had both been in school and we had a a great neighborhood school, five-minute walk away. It wasn't one of the highest rated schools and a lot of the parents in the neighborhood actually would drive their kids across the city to what they felt was a better school but we had no problems with it it was great teachers and actually had low numbers so really good uh, class ratios all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and my daughter had gone into so when we left she was seven and my son was five and he by the time we left we decided to leave at the end of the school year so the end of june so he had done one year. Molly had done three years. And we had to prepare them for this. We told them all along the way as soon as we made the decision, even at a very young age. I don't know if they really fully understood it. But uh, we explained it to them as best we could. And, and we wanted them to be prepared mentally for it and, and actually got quite excited about it. And we looked at all kinds of different ways to approach schooling from very structured online programs to unschooling, which is basically let them do whatever they want. And we ended up finding something in the middle, which we are like right now with the pandemic going on, we're feeling very fortunate that we've had this preparation that we're already doing the things that all these parents are forced to do that they're since all the schools are closed. So we feel like we're in a good position that way. So basically, this is, it's called self-design. It's through the provincial um, health or education ministry. And they connect you with a teacher who's like a liaison. And they provide you with all kinds of really great online resources. And they let you basically do whatever you want. And you are following the interests of your kids. And you check in with them once a week. You send a report on what you've done and what they've learned They're really happy to have the kids learning from their experiences. And, you know, everything that you do as you travel is a learning opportunity, especially for children. So, you know, they learn currency exchanges with their, and and that's their math. And they learn geography and history and biology just from what they see on a day-to-day basis. And we try to find other things, historical places, uh, museums, and Everything is uh, opportunity for learning, really. And then they do, you know, and our, our day-to-day is quite unstructured. We try to do some little bit of writing here. Some, it's like using pencil and paper, whether it's math problems or writing out words or journaling. They also do online stuff that follows like a curriculum. So it's math and English and those sort of things. And then we try to get them to express their artistic side. So we are more often than not, spending one month in a location. So we'll go to a store and get like a cheap set of watercolor paints and let them play with those, get some plaster scene. There's always paper and pencils and pencil crayons and markers. So they're 
getting into that. And origami has been a big one too. My daughter especially is really into origami and there's some great apps that so they can look at the phone and it shows the step-by-step instructions on how to do that. And all kinds of book apps where they can read books. So it's basically you take a library around with you and having like using technology has just been great because one of the other things I didn't mention was that we're traveling with carry-on luggage only. So we have basically three packs. My wife and I have a backpack and we have one roller for the kids. So having a big stack of books to carry around with us is not an option. Although I've met families who are doing that. And so utilizing technology without having their faces glued to the screen all the time is a bit sometimes a challenge, but it seems to be working out. It's uh, I have a lot of respect for the teachers out there though, because uh, getting kids to sit down and focus and learn is not always easy. Yeah, I love that the kids are getting both that right brain stuff, the logical stuff, and then the left brain artistic. They're getting to kind of embrace both sides of that. And, you know, their creativity, I think our education system kills a lot of that in a lot of our kids. And, you know, that system is probably outdated and is designed to create employees. And I think uh, we've lost a big part of ourselves in forcing our kids to work in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, they're uh, no longer going to work the factory floors. So we should probably change the system. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why I was really interested in talking to you because there's parents out there that even if they don't want to travel the world, they would probably be interested in homeschooling or an alternative education process. So I'm interested, you know, when you decide to take your kids out of school, Are there any legal requirements or kind of hoops you have to jump through to be able to educate your kids in your own way? We are very fortunate. I know that in the province of British Columbia, there are no requirements whatsoever. You can basically do whatever you want. And I do believe all of Canada is the same way. We met another family from Alberta and they're doing distance education and they were actually sent along with a stack of books and workbooks and papers and things like that. So it's a little bit different from place to place, but I do believe that everywhere it's possible for people to not do anything, just to take your kids out of school. There's, I know there's countries, especially Scandinavia and parts of Europe, where it actually can be illegal to do that. And right. families who actually had to move to another country when they wanted to do that sort of a thing. So, But we've had, you know, there's a lot of the homeschooling world had been traditionally religious families that wanted a a more Christian education that they didn't feel they didn't want their kids to learn about, you know, evolution and things like that. So they would do that, their own schooling at home, like a Bible-based. So they helped pave the way for people like ourselves, I think. Yeah, I was talking to my dad a few days ago about this. I told him I was interviewing you and, you know, how exciting it was. And why I mentioned that to him, I was actually born on a bus and I lived that way until I was around four. It was converted into a home and we lived in caravans. We were kind of nomadic in the beginning. And we moved to London to have my sister go to school. And my dad to this day says he doesn't think it was a good idea. It's indoctrination, not education. (laughs) You know, he's of that (laughs) mindset. And I'm of the opposite where I say, well, I got to see both sides And what I noticed about my sister and myself in contrast to others is because I've seen both sides, I have a bit of a different perspective that's beneficial. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested, Pete, when your kids go back to Canada or they engage with other kids who are in a more traditional education system, what do you notice as the differences between them? Well, we haven't gone back to Canada yet. 
So we've been on the road since June of 2019, and we have yet to see how that works out. I don't think it's going to be much different. And because they have been in the school system and and they liked school, they've often said they'd be happy to go back to school. But I, I don't anticipate there being a big difference. You know, like we've met up with families along the way and some of them have not been traveling long and they're from different countries. You know, there was a family that hadn't been on the road too long and they're from Germany. And even though their kids were both older than ours, they they all just got along great. Kids are kids. And that's the one thing that we've learned from this is, you know, not every kid is going to connect with the next one. You're not going to have every kid in your class be your best friend. But, and it has nothing to do with their background. I mean, we had our public school or elementary school where our kids went, it was very diverse. And it's not really the background that really determines whether they get along or not. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. One aspect that's interesting is that group environment, that collaboration and you know cooperation with other kids. Do they replicate that in online schooling in some way, or is it very much you know one to one student and teacher type model? Well, yeah, that's a good question. There definitely is no groups. <laughs> like I said, we have gotten together with some other families, but you know, yeah, I think that that's something that you could say they're maybe missing out on. I mean, they're obviously not going out and playing soccer and or baseball or anything of that sort with a large group of the kids, which, of course, present is strongly discouraged. Mm-hmm. So uh, I still, though, like, like I, I did a lot of research uh, before we took this trip, and I've heard a lot of stories, even from these unschooling families. And every single one said that their kids, some of even chosen to go back into the school system as teenagers and they, they wanted the, to see what they've always seen in movies and tv shows they want to have that their locker and their friends and their cliques and all that stuff that a lot of people are scared of but the kids wanted to have that opportunity to have that experience and they generally didn't have any problems getting back into things so I'm not concerned about that personally. I think that when you play to their strengths and their interests, I think that has uh, more of a benefit in the long run than having kids shoehorned into just having to study everything because they're told it's important. 100%. I love that you get to tailor that to the individual. I'm I'm a big proponent of that. Mm -hmm. You know, that education system, as you said, it does shoehorn us into these topics and often they're not even practical or useful. So I love that the kids are working out exchange rates. And, you know, when you use something, you retain it rather than it just being an exercise in a textbook that doesn't really serve anybody. Absolutely. And and that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, one of my earliest memories as a child was driving across Canada and the U.S. when I was four years old. And I remember so many things from that so clearly. And I'm hoping that that's going to be a similar thing. And as well that they actually are learning things along the way too so definitely my dad told me a story of how he used to make me read the map when i was really young and he'd say you know is it this way is it that way and he'd have me memorizing the direction without the map and he would drive 20 30 minutes in the wrong direction you know knowing it was wrong (laughs) waiting for me (laughs) to figure it out and i don't know if this actually helped but i'm great with strategy now which is where are we where are we trying to get to and how do we get there So there's something in that using it and parents applying those lessons in the real world that I think does make a big difference. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My kids love maps. Like I remember my son just spent a whole day with this map of a campground in Canada and that was his whole entertainment. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Pete, talk to me about you've moved from Canada. You're now on the road with the kids. You've got the homeschooling or world schooling situation Mm -hmm. figured out. You went over to Asia first. Is that right? Before we left for Asia, we did a cross Canada trip, not all the way across, but we got in our minivan with our tent Mm -hmm. and we went from Vancouver to Toronto and then back again all through Canada. And it was a great experience. I wanted to show them, you know, where we're from so they can appreciate that before we move on. And it was an opportunity to do that during the summer. It's hard for us to get all that vacation time during the highest demand. You know, another thing about being a wage slave is you got to really spend years and years working up in your seniority before you can actually get the time off that you want. And I mean, that can be quite limited in a lot of places too. I mean, it was a, it was an unseasonably cold and wet summer, unfortunately. So we spent a lot of time in our tent in the rain, but we didn't have to deal with any forest fires. But um, anyway, I was able to show them a lot of the places that I had seen as a kid and, and go back and visit my dad in my hometown and and see friends and family along the way. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do as much as possible is to to reconnect and to stay connected with our friends and family because, you know, that's what's really important long-term. And I hear time and time again about people who are on the road who sometimes have an even better connection with loved ones than they did when they were at work and having no time to actually talk to them or email or FaceTime. Anyway, then we decided we would start with South Korea because my wife... Her parents are from South Korea, though she never lived there. Mm-hmm. And we thought that would be a, a nice, slow introduction into Asia and that it's a little bit more pricey of a destination, but also more comfortable. They're familiar with the foods and whatnot. So we spent a month in Busan and uh, that was just fantastic. It's right on the beach. It's not a giant city like Seoul, but big enough that there's plenty of things to do. And we spent a week in Japan because it's expensive, but we had to go there because it was close. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Thailand two months and about a month in Laos. And we've been in Vietnam since January 15th. I love that you're reconnecting with your roots before you go. So your children are, are seeing where they're from and then your wife is seeing where her family are from. I think that's so important, you know, to before you go out into the world. They always say, don't they, if you don't know where you've come from, how do you know where you're going? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been pretty important. And and they have such fond memories of all those things too now. Yeah, definitely. So you were nursing prior to leaving. You've sold the house. I imagine you've got some money behind you. So at this point, in terms of you know paying for your travel, are you using the money that you had and making that last as long as possible? Or have you started to do some kind of online or side hustle to, to augment that income? Well, both. But I mean, we're not in the augmenting stage right now. So we've budgeted a certain amount. We took a, you know, luckily we sold our home at a good time. And we were able to make some money off of that. We invested some and kept some aside to pay for our travel. So That's also why we've been trying to, you know, even in Canada, we were mostly sleeping in tents and we're visiting mostly budget-friendly destinations. And slow travel is, makes things a lot more affordable than when you're always trying to uh, get on another plane or a train or a 
and switching from place to place and racing to see all the sites and those sort of things. Having a kitchen and being able to cook your food, there's all these ways that we're trying to keep our budget down so that if there is no more money coming in, we can still make this last as long as possible. We did start a blog, earthfamilytravel.com, and started that in June of 2019. And our content creation has not been as fast as we hoped. (laughs) We had all kinds of plans about what we were going to do with that. And traveling with kids is, you know, definitely challenging as far as, you know, being productive. So, you know, I've listened to so many podcasts and still do about digital nomads and, you know, travel like a boss and travel indie and, and all the kinds of, and read books and things. And so we haven't monetized our blog, but, and we're just learning so much. Like we have zero business sense whatsoever. We're nurses. We just, you know, we clock in, clock out. And my wife has often said I'd make a good salesman because, you know, if I buy some cool gear at the store, I'm happy to tell everybody how awesome it is and why they should have this or that. So, you know, I haven't really converted that to an income, (laughs) but we're focusing on things like, you know, we're learning about SEO and, and all kinds of stuff. And we're focusing on content and trying to see if we can get people just visiting our site. And hopefully at first they'll be really refreshed by the lack of advertisements and they'll find some valuable information there and trying to find our, you know, niche. And then eventually, who knows, honestly, I'm kind of hoping something's going to land in my lap or, or something that talk to the right person and an opportunity will arise. And there's been a few things that could materialize. I've, you know, looked into affiliate marketing mm-hmm. and Amazon still hasn't gotten back to me on that. But at the present time, our expectations are very, very, very low, especially in light of recent events. I literally just listened to a podcast earlier this evening about a travel blogger who was making a lot of money until recently, and her business is completely dried up. So we're going to use this time to try to get caught up with our blog posts and, and create more content and tweak things and learn things. And I'm supposed to be going to the World Nomad Summit in Tbilisi in May. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to work out. <laughs> but the summit hasn't been canceled yet, so we'll see. Yeah, I want to touch on a couple of things that you said that uh, I think were quite important. So there's a couple of paths out of the nine to five. One of them is, you know, build up that side hustle till it replaces your day job income and then go and travel. Another path is what you guys did, which is if we have an asset and we can convert that to cash, we can then use that lump sum to live for an extended period. And that model, I think, works really well, particularly when you budget, because then you have a certain runway to get your passion project off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because these kind of things, affiliate marketing, travel blogging, content creation, they do take 12 to 18 months of creating content before you get significant traffic, before you can monetize that. So I think that's important that people realize that it's probably unlikely unless, you know, you're just a complete lucky person that you're going to create a new blog, get a ton of traffic and convert that to sales immediately. So I think having that lump sum and budgeting to give yourself the time to bring that to fruition is so important. Yeah, we're also okay with the fact that this might not go anywhere as far as making money, but hopefully we will inspire some people to 
do something similar to what we're doing and, and inspire families to not wait until their kids are growing up and to, you know, plan on, on a retirement home. I mean, we basically resigned to the fact that we're okay with being poor when we're old and that, you know, worst case scenario, we'll live in a, a cheaper part of the country. And right now, which is like geographic arbitrage. And right now we're mm-hmm. using geographic arbitrage to, to help this bit of money last a lot longer and sort of taking an early retirement, if you will, because we both had losses in our families and friends, people who've died quite unexpectedly. And one of the big reasons why we have done what we're doing is because of that. Even two weeks after I went and told my mom and dad about our plans, my mom just died in her sleep um, for no apparent reason. And it was, you know, it was painless. She was singing in the choir one night and, and didn't wake up the next morning. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, because you just don't know what the future is going to bring. And putting it off for some day is, I don't think is always wise, because yeah, anyway, anything can happen. Life is short. And we need to enjoy the things that are most important now, which is doing the things you love, spending your time with the people that you love as much as possible. Yeah, I think that's so wise. If this time in the world has taught us anything, it's that, you know, we don't always have time. And my uncle sent me a message the other day. He said, remember, the pharaohs had all the gold in the world, but they couldn't take it with them. Absolutely. I just absolutely loved that because it's really about the memories that we create. You know, the end of life, if that wheel that shows you, you know, the highlights reel of your life exists, we're not going to see how much money we made or the deal that we closed. We're going to see those moments with our kids, those moments with our parents. So to me, surely life's about creating as many of those as possible, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the main aim for this whole thing and and to just live a life of no regrets, you know. But anyway, if things do take off with our blog and we can try to turn this into a a business that we can take with us. We do hope that we can continue doing all these wonderful things and creating more memories. And if that doesn't work out, we do have some other sort of backup plans. One of the things that we did after our last trip was work as a nurse on a contract basis. So with the agency, and they'd send you to usually a a small hospital or community uh, nursing station in a remote part of the country and you'd be there they'd fly you there you'd be there for some weeks or up to a couple months and then they fly you home they provide you with housing and whatnot and we worked in in a small town bella coola for about four months my wife and i and we're thinking you know after we're done traveling now we could go back do that for four months and not even need to have a home to live in so because they're providing housing and almost everywhere that I stayed had enough room for our whole family. And we could get probably with one salary probably if, if need be or if they were willing to make use of both of us alternating. So we have somebody with the kids. Then we could also do something like that and then, you know, spend some time in another place. We're hoping to eventually make it to back to South America, and, you know, maybe set up a base in Ecuador or Colombia or something of that sort. Yeah, that's definitely one of the other paths a lot of nomads take, which is they work in the job they were doing previously, but they do it for a limited period, say three or four months, and then they take Mm -hmm. three or four months off. That is something from, you know, working on the fruit farms, doing picking, 
to language teaching. There's a ton of opportunities there to, um, you know, to work for a little while and then go and travel. Um, I think that's, uh, that's something that's worth highlighting. And I just want to explain something for the listeners. So geo arbitrage is the process of earning in dollars or Canadian dollars or pounds or euros, typically a Western currency, and then living in, uh, a, another country, perhaps in the far East, perhaps in South America where things are cheaper. So you're earning your income in a powerful currency and your expenses are in a currency which is less powerful. So your dollars go further, quite simply. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of just ask you, was that one of the reasons that you headed over to Asia? You know, once you got the expensive countries out of the system and out of the way, was Asia a, a, you know, a logical choice because of that ratio between expenses and income? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, we traveled through Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and Laos on our last trip and when before kids and you know it is an inexpensive place to travel and we've only visited places that we are considered to be such uh, even on the last trip with the odd exception we did a uh, 10 days in bhutan and that was sort of uh, using an inheritance to do you know a dream trip but that was 12 years ago and uh, we have no plans on returning to bhutan this time <laughs> And South America, you know, we went through North Africa. And on this trip, you know, I've done a lot of research into where our, to make our dollar go further. And so we were basically going to do Southeast Asia and then Eastern Europe. So Georgia, some time in Turkey, Bulgaria, and Romania. It was as far as we've gotten, though, where there's plenty of other countries around that would also, I mean, every country, I think, in Europe is an interesting and wonderful place to visit. And the more you learn about them, the more you realize that it wasn't always my picture of it in my mind. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't always, you know, I remember hearing about, the, you know, Nicola Ceausescu, I believe, right, was the uh, mm -hmm. former leader of Romania. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during that time, it didn't seem like a nice place to visit. But now... I'm just so excited about places like Bulgaria and Romania, places I've never even thought about before. And your dollar can go a very long way, especially if you are going to be spending a month in one place and can get an Airbnb or something of that sort. You can be cooking in your own home and Georgia as well. So yeah, that's definitely a big part of why we're doing what we're doing because we always keep telling people like we're when we run out of money, we have to go home. So we're, uh, we're hoping to make it last as long as possible. Yeah. The slow travel thing is so important. I think the tendency a lot of people have, and, and I had this even this year, is to try and do 10 countries in eight weeks and you just cram it all in. You actually don't enjoy it. You feel completely fried all the time because you're thinking about this train, this flight, this hotel. You're constantly packing, repacking, or even just leaving the case open and picking some clothes out. And when it comes to doing your work, content creation, and all those great plans you said you'd have, they literally go out the window. It took me a long, long time to learn that we've recently switched to slow travel one month in each city, and it's made a huge difference. I think in January and the first two weeks of February, we did 10 cities, and I got wow. nothing done, and I made no money. And then we switched to a month in Budapest, a month in Romania, all of a sudden, productivity's through the roof. We're, you know, making good money. We're creating a ton of content and recording. This is my fifth podcast this week. Mm -hmm. That slow travel and definitely having an Airbnb with a kitchen where you don't have to go out, 
it makes such a huge difference. I absolutely would recommend that to anybody who's listening to this and they're thinking about going on that first trip. You do save a ton of money. You do get a lot more done and it does give you a longer you know, period of time to live this lifestyle. So I wanted to, get a, um, to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a more enriching experience of the country that you're visiting. You know, there are so many tourist sites that we don't even necessarily visit when we're in a place that are on all kinds of lists and we're just okay with that. I mean, having kids is another thing entirely with children. I mean, we've met some families that have done the fast thing and, and they burned out fast and their kids just were very grateful to sort of settle into a place and get to know a neighborhood. And when you go to a restaurant or a fruit stand or a cafe, the second, the third and the fourth time, they treat you completely differently. Mm-hmm. You almost become like a family, you know, even right. if you don't speak the language. I mean, you know, like there's people like this lady who sold us our mangoes in Chiang Mai and, you know, this driver that we would just keep getting when we booked a grab and things like that. And that, you know, they become almost like a friend or even if you're not having great conversations with them, they greet you with a different warmth. And, and the next thing you know, you're getting little extra things thrown in that you didn't ask for, but they, their generosity just comes out and makes the place really feel like home. And, and we like to think of ourselves as nomads. And that's why, which is a whole nother thing, but that's why we haven't returned to Canada during this pandemic. And that was a, another big stress that we went through recently about whether we should or shouldn't, because they're all telling, oh, if you want to come home, you better come home now and don't get stranded there. And we're like, well, this kind of is our home. We were actually hoping to be flying to Malaysia in a few days, but we scuttled that plan and we've just decided to stay put where we are longer and make the most of it. And where, like I said, we still haven't even been to a lot of the tourist places because they've been closed recently. So maybe they might open up again. So yeah, that's been a whole new thing. I even bought a ukulele today because I've been out of practice from my ukulele. So I might have to I return that to the shop that I bought it at when we leave because I don't know if that'll fit my carry-on. But And I think I'm going to try to convince them that they could just give it to a, a kid or a student that needs it when when I'm done using it. But I think if I get a month or two of practicing, that'll be kind of fun. The coronavirus thing has just been a topic of conversation, you know, naturally for everybody. But for nomads, it's completely different. We live, you know, in the world, in, in different places. We're away from home. I've had people who have flown home, couples who have split, and uh, they haven't split as a couple, but they've gone back to their respective countries and families because, you know, they met while they were traveling. I had a podcast a few days ago with a lady who was actually in Vietnam and she flew back to the US. I myself have decided to stay in Romania because it feels like it's more in control here than than in the UK, which only went into lockdown yesterday evening. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely this personal decision that's taking place with individuals to go or not go. You know, the UK have, have given the same announcement, come home immediately. But when you look into it, it's for people who are not long-term travelers. It's people on business trips, on weekend trips, on vacations, etc. So what was your decision-making process for staying in Vietnam as opposed to heading back to Canada? Well, like I said, it was not an easy decision. You know, the news was changing so fast. And Vietnam was one of the very first countries hit. And we were here when they got their first cases in January. And it was over the Lunar New Year celebration. And there was a holiday. and Everything was 
closed down and they luckily Vietnam reacted very, very quickly. And being a communist country with less personal privacy issues and all those sort of things, it's easier to do these measures than it is in Western Europe or North America. So they, and these measures as they as they did in China, they can be quite effective. You know, they were a little, you know, late enacting them in China before they acknowledged that this was a real problem, but Vietnam did not hesitate and they continued to do so. We still had to, I don't know, I haven't checked the latest numbers were this evening, but uh, there's 123 cases in the whole country here. And it's one of the very first countries to see it. And there's been no deaths at all in the country. So that's one of the main reasons we decided to stay where we were. We looked at back in Canada, there's over 2000 cases now. And when you factor in the population, like per million people, that the statistics are right off that Vietnam is one of the lowest in the world, 96 million people. They've just effectively closed their borders and, and there's been no school since January. And there's checkpoints at all the points of entry, even into the city. Every single passenger getting off an airplane here is put into strict quarantine. They're escorted from the airport to a quarantine facility. <laughs> and literally soldiers out there, very friendly, nice soldiers who, you know, we've heard will even bring them a SIM card and delicious Vietnamese food or Western food, if that's their choice. And they're showing all these happy people. Some of them are in hotels. Some of them are in military bases. But, you know, they're all being tested. They're all being contact traced. So the Vietnamese government's reaction to this, from what we understand, there's some people who aren't believing they're saying it's propaganda, but it's had a dramatic effect on the tourism. And there's a lot fewer tourists here. But that's been a huge factor. And we looked at things. We said, what's the safest, most responsible thing that we could do? Is it to get on, go to a busy airport, get on an airplane, transit through possibly at least one or two other airports before we land in Canada, then wait in these long lineups of people crowding in, rushing home? And we've heard that the screening there is very little. They weren't having their temperatures checked. They weren't doing any medical questionnaires. I get my temperature checked every time I go to the grocery store here. I don't think their thermometer is very accurate because I'd be hypothermic if it were true, but it's 32.8 today. <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're making the effort and right. they're, they're literally, you know, and the shopping mall is open, but it's deserted, but they turn people away. There was a couple in front of me just today who were trying to go into the mall and, and the security guard said no, because they didn't have masks on. Mm-hmm. And I walked up wearing my mask and whether that's an effective Thing or not is, is some people will debate that but it's the norm and it's expected here they even have sent out texts to in english to all the uh, foreigners who have vietnamese sim card and our hotel asked us what you know a few questions today about when we first arrived into the country and whatnot and depending on those answers we probably would have been uh, tested ourselves or at least had further testing or questions and whatnot so yeah we decided to stay put would be the safest thing. And our biggest concern is that it's going to get really hot here eventually. But we've got a place with a pool on the roof. and It's a, just a very small hotel. We're going to be moving there in a few days. Um, and we're going to make the, most, the, the best of it. Like I said, I bought a ukulele, so I'll, I haven't played one in a, about six months. And we're talking about uh, fostering a kitten from 
the local shelter that is desperate because they have no volunteers right now. And the kittens are quarantined as well because when they're very young, they don't have their vaccinations. So they have to keep them separated from the rest of the cats. So if we bring one of them into our home, it's going to keep our kids busy and and occupied. And it's going to help that thing stay out of a tiny cage for for a few months. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what we've decided. We're just keeping a close eye on everything and trying to use data and science and, and whatnot to, you know, make our next decision. Definitely. I think I've spoken to probably over 60 nomads in various different countries over the past week about the situation there. And I think I've got a fairly clear understanding from different people. I have people in Vietnam who are getting letters under the door of the hotel saying report at 8 a.m. for a temperature check. I've seen people who have flown from Italy to the U.S. and walked straight through the border without any testing just maybe three or four weeks ago. I've got Andrew Jernigan, a good friend of ours, insurednomads.com, yes. that I interviewed. And, you know, he's telling me in that episode that the communist countries, they shut things down quickly. And that's why it flattened the curve in 15 days. And that's not just, it's just not going to happen in the West that quickly because of the way we, you know, respond to those kind of requests. I have a friend whose father-in-law was the chief medical officer of Taiwan. And, you know, they shut that down quickly again, because people follow the rules that the government specifies. And what we tend to be seeing in some of South America, in the US and in Europe, people are not following those restrictions. They're gathering on the beaches in Australia, in London. Mm -hmm. They're all in the store, in queues, really close to each other. And the governments are having to put you know, stricter measures in place where you're going to get significant fines. But the general consensus and feedback that I got is in the West, they're just not controlling the situation. They're taking too long to address the situation. So for me, I came to the same decision as you as, hey, it makes more sense to stay somewhere remote where they are controlling things a little bit better than to fly through those airports and to go back into London where there's a a situation which appears to be out of control. And it's not just about your own personal safety, but whether you are going to get sick or your loved ones are going to get sick. It's about being a possible carrier, about, you know, you could get it from the person in the seat next to you or in the lineup in the immigration and then take it back into your community. And that's what is happening all around the world with all these people. They're bringing it. And so many people actually are returning to Vietnam from Europe right now and they're positive. And they're, of course, they're being treated and quarantined and all that. But when you see back home, I know, I, I know other people that have gone home and they had, they were just recommended that they go into quarantine. But, you know, we even did consider that. We're like, okay, we don't have a house. Where are we going to go? Our address that we use is my mother-in-law's and we don't want to be staying with people over 60 or, you know, and I posted a question to friends and family back home and we did get offers. Oh, the, you know, uh, relatives saying we could use their cottage or, or people saying they knew of a, an empty apartment. And my friend said he could leave a car at the airport for us. But, you know, going to <laughs> grocery stores with no food or toilet paper. And <laughs> there's just so much chaos and, and mayhem there. It's, and it's a tricky thing. Like, I, like, I respect the fact that these communist countries and and the people follow their leaders' directives. Whereas, you know, depending on what side of the political spectrum you're back home, you may think your leader is a complete idiot and not want to listen to them. And 
they might be giving mixed messages as well, which we're hearing a lot of from the U.S. and the U.K. And that's causing, you know, people are still going to the church or to the beach or to the synagogue or to the mosque. And, and I'm hearing these reports from Canada. I just this evening was looking at all these hikers gathered on this rock near Vancouver in large numbers where they always do. And it's still happening. And so anyway, the thing is, do you think this is something that we want to bring that all countries should follow? Like, it's hard. Like, you know, there's a reason they could do this because people don't have all the freedoms that people love back in the West. And is this going to lead to an excuse to erode those personal freedoms that people have come accustomed to? And, you know, like the Patriot Act in the U.S. after 9-11 yep. and all those sort of things. And, you know, or whether universal health care, having one system overseeing everything can help with situations like this. There's going to be a lot of interesting discussions about that in the future. And unfortunately, the opportunity for people to, you know, do some bad things, but in the name of good, which is part of human history, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that can happen. We see a lot of the time, politically, these situations can be used to erode those personal liberties. The Patriot Act, for sure, was one of those. And, you know, bring military into the streets, martial law. There's a lot of people who have those views. And there's probably some merit to them. I think at this point, nobody's saying coronavirus isn't real anymore. There was definitely some mm -hmm. of that in the beginning. It's very much real. Whether the political classes will use that to erode personal freedom, and that's something that goes beyond coronavirus, I guess we don't know. There probably are some desires to do that in some quarters. But I think at this point, based on, on what I'm seeing and who, everybody I'm talking to, it is something that is necessary at this point. We saw that it worked in China, in Wuhan. After 15 days, the number of cases declined. And I think now they're at the point where they had more people recovering than new cases in a single day. Mm -hmm. When I look at Italy, the worst affected in Europe, I actually have family in Milan. I was there on New Year's Eve this year. I spent oh. all of January in Italy. Oh dear. And we see that Italy had the biggest cases, the biggest volume of cases, and they responded too late. And we're only seeing the impact now. There were 200 mm -hmm. deaths in a day, then 400, then 600. It's increasing. So there is a tail to this. So from the point when the lockdown comes into force, it does seem that you don't really see the effects of the severity of the sickness until further down that line. So I do worry about the UK the US, yes, our personal freedom is so important. But at this point, it does seem we do need to stay home. We do need to support our health workers. And, you know, the biggest risk, I guess, is if too many people get sick, that entire infrastructure of the hospital and health system, it, it cannot cope with that volume of patients. Well, yeah, you don't want to come down with another illness. Like, you know, right now, if you were to have a heart attack or a stroke in Italy, it would not be a good situation. And as things worsen in other parts of the world, you know, there's going to be no room in the ICU. So if you're critically ill and you even have a, a chance of recovering from, you know, uh, could be an injury, a car accident, or, you know, any number of things. And then there's all the people with chronic problems that are hoping for that knee or the back surgery so they can get about going back to their lives. That's all been put on hold as well. And it's only going to be put on hold for longer because there's these idiots that want to go hang out on the beach or 
Right. <laughs> or I've heard about churches in, in southern states where they think that God is going to protect them and they don't need to worry about it. And so they're still congregating in large numbers. And this is why they're going to have to change laws if they do, is because of some people who are just not smart enough to do the right thing, unfortunately. And, you know, I don't mean to disparage anybody, but it really comes down to just, you know, thinking about the bigger picture. And in a communist country like Vietnam, it's all about the we and not the me. And it's not every man for himself by any sense. And, and politicians don't have to worry about getting reelected here. They're not politicians. <laughs> they're, they're servants <laughs> of the people. They don't have to think about the political fallout of what they did or didn't do, you know, right. and, and not make, taking that gamble that it's the right thing or is it the popular thing, you know? Yeah, I think I sit in the middle of the spectrum as what I would call a conscious capitalist. Mm-hmm. I think there's just, you know, any direction that's too far one way is unbalanced. And the middle is is usually where, you know, the balance is found if we look at nature. So, you know, having those personal liberties and the freedom to do what we want. I love that. I need that. That's important. That's why I'm a nomad. But the other side is sometimes we become so individualistic, we forget about, you know, us as a an entity, in our in our entirety so i think those communist countries whilst they do restrict freedom there is something to be said about you know the way they pull together in a crisis yeah and they're definitely not shy of capitalism and business and making money because look at china (laughs) and vietnam (laughs) vietnam is doing very well you know until recently like you know business is booming here and uh you know just with the manufacturing and whatnot, but it's definitely, there's a way to do both, I think. And I don't Mm -hmm. think there's been a perfect political system created yet, but you know, still don't have that except for the benevolent dictator, but, (laughs) but we'll see whether there's going to be a lot of changes in the world after this. And there's going to be a lot of fallout. And I'm hoping there'll at least be a short period where travel will be more affordable and safe at the same time. And, perhaps that will work to our advantage and we'll be able to travel a little longer. (laughs) I think so. I think so. So let's switch gears for a second, Pete. Let's leave the Corona thing. We've probably (laughs) done that one to death recently. We're all kind of tired of hearing about that. So I'm interested now, if there's a family out there who are listening to you on this podcast and they're thinking, you know, Pete, this sounds good. When the world resumes its, uh, its normal service, I'd like to go and do that. I don't have a ton of money. What kind of budget would they need for a month if they were traveling with two kids like you are? What's the, the kind of range that you've seen? I think right now, when you factor in airfare and you factor in all the costs, it depends you know, where you're flying from and where you're flying to. Airfare is one of the biggest costs. And being flexible is one of the most important things. We kind of had a bit of an agenda when we started out. But, you know, I have a long list of countries that I would like to visit and just some preliminary information about where I'd want to go. But what I would suggest to people that keep an open mind, research the places where your dollar is going to go the furthest and where it's going to have those things that are important to you, whether that's a beach or mountains or a city or perhaps a specific kind of a culture may have to do with your roots and whatnot. And then, you know, make a list of of countries that could possibly fit that bill. And then you got to look at trying to find a good flight because once you get that ticket is one of your biggest price tags 
And if you can find a place where you can just go to the next destination without having to get in an airplane, then that's going to cut down on your travel costs dramatically and also your carbon footprint. And we've actually posted, uh, done a couple articles about reducing your carbon footprint when traveling, which is another story. But there's the side benefit of that. And there's been some things that we've done that we would do differently, like flying to the south of Thailand. And then we took a train back from southern Thailand to Bangkok. And it was great. It cost us way less money. The kids loved it. So train travel is really great when traveling with families. And based on that experience and large parts of our budget going through Asia was flying in and out of Laos. And we regret doing that as well. We would change things. You know, we thought, ah, a 24-hour bus ride would be impossible. But there's ways to break that up. And there are trains that will get you partway. And you can stay in a place for a couple nights if you need to. And then take another shorter bus ride. And we've also spoken to families that have done 24-hour bus trips. And the kids were fine. Just loaded their their devices up with movies. (laughs) My kids are begging us to go on a long airplane trip just so they could have a lot of movies to watch. Definitely. We've done that exact same thing. Those bus rides from Budapest to Romania, like eight hours. You leave at 4 a.m. You're there by kind of midday. You've got some movies. You're good to go. It's like $10 per person. It's nothing. Yes. And trains, especially with kids, are great because they can stretch their legs and walk around. You can do walk from one end of the train to the next. And it's always something interesting to see and go to the food car. And they have, because there's four of us and you can get a compartment that in Southeast Asia is very affordable. And where, you know, you got four bunks, they're all in one little area. It's also great about, you know, if you want to have your privacy and you don't want to be, you know, maybe especially with the social distancing and whatnot, it's, it's good for that too. You don't have someone breathing over your shoulder and you, you know, you can lock the door and, and bring your own food and look out the window and the kids really do enjoy it. That's one of the best parts. So budget wise, you know, and then you in shopping around, finding that right location, spending a month in a place. Sometimes we've spent too much time looking for that perfect Airbnb where that, you know, is, has enough space for us and our family and and we want to be able to walk places so that's another thing we don't ride motorcycles in southeast asia we've just seen too many injuries and heard too many horror stories so we try to go places where we can walk around or take a southeast asian equivalent to uber it's called grab so Mm -hmm. doing that is great and very affordable it's often cheaper than taking local transit when you've got four people so for a month And sometimes there's other costs that we take into account, like visas and immunizations. We we did most of our immunizations before we left, but we also got a few done in Thailand because it was cheaper to get our yellow fever and rabies immunizations in Chiang Mai. And the kids insisted on getting their rabies (laughs) vaccinations because they wanted to pet puppies and cats. So, you know, that was all factored into our budget. But two to $3,000 a month, is pretty doable for a family of four in a Southeast Asian country. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and like, you know, we spent more than that in Busan, South Korea, and we've planned the next leg of our trip, which is still up in the air, flying into Tbilisi and then just traveling by rail pretty much all the way through from there. So we're hoping that things would be a lot more affordable then. 
Yeah, I mean, I've spent a good amount of time in what I would call Eastern Europe recently. Uh, we spent almost a month in Poland, in Hungary, in Romania. And what we found is an Airbnb for a month is around $450, maybe $500. You get a great discount if you book for a month. And on mm -hmm. food for two of us, because we have a kitchen, we're probably spending about 50 bucks a week. And we're just doing you know the same meals again. We tend not to go out too much. So it's definitely way more affordable than, you know, when I was living in London, your rent for the apartment is going to be $1,500, $1,600 just on its own. That's um, true. You certainly get a lot more life for your money. And, you know, if that freedom lifestyle is what you want and you want that space to be able to work and to kind of build the side hustle or create your content, having a place of your own for a month while saving money, it doesn't get any better than that. Absolutely. And having like a beach to go to that doesn't cost money. And that can be your entertainment for the day or mountains to hike on is also really helpful if, if you want to have, you know, get your exercise entertainment. And we've had places with amazing gyms in them as well that were at no additional cost. And we'd always take advantage of that when it's there. So, you know, there's so many opportunities to save money. And, and I think we're getting better at it with more practice, which is why yeah. we're also <laughs> writing about that in our blog and hoping that we can help people out in that way. Yeah. And I recommend everybody does go and check out that blog, earthfamilytravel.com, right, Pete? Yeah, that's right. And we're also on um, Instagram at Earth Family Travel and uh, we have a Facebook group. Yeah. And everybody go and uh, check out on Instagram, the picture of the rail cart that Pete was talking about. I showed my girlfriend and she immediately said, I want to do that. <laughs> it looked like a real fun time, your own private cabin, introverts of the world rejoice. You can get a private cabin affordably on the train in Asia. Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't that much money. And we, we did a different train in Southern Thailand, which was second class and it wasn't completely separated from the other bunks. But they're two bunks facing each other, but there's a hallway between them. But the kids said they actually preferred it. <laughs> <laughs> All the action happening around them. Oh, there was, yeah, there was a lot of action, which woke us up early in the morning. But, you know, people coming by and selling food and whatnot. And, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, Pete, a couple of things before we wrap up. You continue to impress me. The fact that you travel the world with two kids and only three carry-ons. It just blows my mind. I'm struggling with one hard shell luggage that I check and a backpack. So talk to me about gear. What are those essential things that you travel with that have just completely transformed your life? That thing that, you know, is one thing and it takes the place of three others. What, what are those, um, you know, just must have most recommended things when it comes to um, gear? Well, it, this sounds silly, but a cell phone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Before 2019, my wife and I, we had one Motorola phone between the two of us that we would use on road trips and occasionally when I'm trying to meet up with my friends for a movie or something. And we actually would go months without using it and then have to get a new SIM card because it was no longer valid. So we made a plan, and I love technology. We have a laptop. I'm a bit of a, a geek, but I just always thought I'm just going to wait until they have better phones that have better cameras and all that sort of thing. So we thought, well, we need to get a good camera that fits in my pocket and I can always have on me, takes good pictures, so we'll get a decent phone. And It's not the best. I got a Samsung Galaxy S9, but I like having an Android so I can add additional memory to that and fill that thing full of all 
my entire music collection, movies and videos, and always have that handy and be able to take all the pictures and videos that I need to. And that does so many things. I mean, even today I downloaded a uh, ukulele tuning app, so I don't have to worry about not having my ukulele tuner that I left back home. So that is like we have, um, we each have a cell phone. We each have a tablet that we'd had before, and those are good for using with the kids and things. And I, I also like to mess around with some electronic music and stuff. I use GarageBand. I have one Apple device because GarageBand is great for $5. And I had great ambitions to do more with my music since I've started. But uh, hopefully that this downtime with the uh, quarantine kind of lockdown situation will help with that. And we've gotten rid of a lot of gear, so we and you know I've got a good pair. I know you you like your Bose headphones. I got some good um, Bose uh, earbuds with noise canceling. Is yep. amazing. Oh, yep. I just best I thing love ever. that. Oh, it's the best thing when you're on an airplane or a bus <laughs> right. or a train. Yeah, it's incredible. So and the sound quality is fantastic. But I don't have big headphones because that would be just too bulky to carry around and to pack. So just got like the sport earbuds so because they're waterproof and hopefully they will last longer and that's about it we got yeah i got a, a think pad because we wanted to get a a laptop that could take a beating and from what i've read that they're the most hardy you can drop them down a flight of stairs and they won't break so that's not the lightest one and i might have gone <laughs> for the later model in hindsight but uh there's that and i've got a little microphone that i still haven't really used but I have ambitions to do like recording of sounds as I travel. And I just use the microphone on my phone for that now. You know, monks chanting or or frogs chirping, and I want to use that into music and things. But I have a better microphone that I could use. And as far as tech goes, like, that's about it. Um, You know, we try to streamline things. And it's amazing that what you could do with uh, even just with the phone. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I love that you're talking about garage band and recording music. If one thing has happened in this time, it's that people are starting to write those books, make that music, do those things that they didn't have time for when we were all going outside and you know doing everything else that we did. And one thing is people, I think, are rediscovering books. And a question I always ask people, and I'm going to shout out Tim Ferriss. I'm stealing this question from his podcast, Yeah, which is, which book do you most often gift or recommend? Well, I would have to say Vagabonding by Rolf Potts, because that was the book that really got us inspired to do this. And actually, I did the audiobook. I'm very much into podcasts and audiobooks, because with kids, you can do that while you're doing the dishes, cleaning the house and whatnot. And so it's a lot easier to, than to find quiet time to sit and read. So I listened to the audiobook, and Rolf Potts reads it himself, and he just has a really captivating voice and it's great anybody who's thinking about doing this sort of thing i just think it's it's not a long read or or listen and it is just full of so much inspiration it really makes you think about your whole life where you've been what you want to get out of life and there's some practical tips there as well and a lot of resources if you want to follow up with that and delve a little deeper but yeah it's really great 
Yeah, that uh, book, I think, was the book that inspired Tim Ferriss himself to start that laptop lifestyle as it was. And it's funny, whenever I ask this question, the four-hour work week is is a book that comes up a lot and Vagabond, mm-hmm. and they seem to be the two pillars of our community. Absolutely. So, Pete, as we just close things down, what I'd love for you to do is for that parent out there, that family who have dreams of doing what you're doing and they have kids and you know they think that they can't do it, what would you say to them? I would say to them, take a look at where you're at now and how much time you actually get to spend with your kids between taking them to school, to soccer practice, piano lessons, all those sort of things. And think about the fact that one day they're going to not want to even spend any time with you. (laughs) They're going to become teenagers. (laughs) And there's this golden opportunity, this window where they can actually walk and talk and do their own things and where they actually choose to be around you. And using that instead of waiting to spend time with them when they're full grown adults or when you're, you know, not able to go out and have adventures with them when you're, you know, maybe your knees hurt too much to go for that hike or something like that, that closely at your life and and think about what you want to get out of it and whether or not you want to be the biggest influence in your children's lives or you want other people to fill that void. And, you know, what do people really want to get out of life? What are people going to look back upon when they're old and gray and think, do they regret doing this, more of this, or not enough of that? And most people are not going to look back and say, boy, I really wish I'd spent more time at the office. And freedom as well. Are the, do you have any dreams that you've always wanted to do that you've never thought were even possible? And are they possible? You know, and I don't think I'll ever be a world famous DJ, but <laughs> some things aren't are always going to be realistic, but there's a lot of them are. And, and just seeing the world and spending more time with your family and your kids and creating those memories so they don't look back on you when they're older and complain about all the things that, that you made them do or something, you know? So yeah, I think that's a ramble, but that's what I would say. Do you want to be the biggest influence in your children's life or do you want someone else to be? Yeah. Do you wish you spent more time at the office at the end of your life? And what are those dreams that you have inside that, you know, you're kind of letting slip by. I think they're just three incredible points for everybody listening out there. So Pete, I really just want to say thank you. I think it's an inspiring story. I think you're doing something that a lot of people think isn't possible. And we need people like you and your wife and your family to show people that it is possible, that there is an alternative. So thank you for everything that you've been doing. I recommend everybody checks out earthfamilytravel.com. And I just really want to say thank you for joining us today, Pete. Well, thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I've uh, I've listened to every podcast episode you've published so far. And It's really fascinating stuff. So I look forward to listening to more of it. Thank you. Very kind. Take care, Pete. Nice to talk to you. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to talk to you about voicelink.fm. This is a place where you can send me any questions you have, and I'll include the answers to your question on a future episode of the podcast. We're going to be doing a lot more listener Q&A. I'll answer questions on business, finances, entrepreneurship, marketing, travel, personal development, success, productivity, do I believe in aliens, is the Illuminati real, whatever it is that you want to know, 
I'm going to answer those questions. Go to voicelink.fm forward slash free the wage slave. That's voicelink.fm forward slash free the wage slave. <laughs>